Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. Uh, this is our Christmas message. This is the Sunday before Christmas. And when you think about Christmas time, you really don't think about Daniel. I don't, I've never thought of Christmas and then thought of Daniel. But the title of the message this morning is Daniel's Christmas Present. It's very interesting how Daniel relates to the Christmas story. Please enjoy. While you're turning to Daniel chapter 5, let me just remind you of a couple of things. Uh, This Thursday night, we are going to have a Christmas Eve service. We're not going to have a Wednesday night service. Um, We are going to have a, instead of Wednesday night service, we're going to have a Thursday night Christmas Eve service at 6 p.m. And uh, so it's going to last anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes. We'll also have the Lord's Supper on Christmas Eve because we haven't had a chance to have the Lord's Supper yet. So no Wednesday night service this Wednesday night. Christmas Eve candlelight service on uh, Thursday night. We're going to have everything lit up just with candles. And so uh, we're really looking forward to that uh, meal after the service today. And, uh, so just wanted to remind you of that Daniel chapter five, uh, while you're turning there, you can go ahead and stand to your feet in respect and reverence to the word of God. And, uh, we're going to, uh, read Daniel chapter five and verse 11. I'm going to read two verses to you this morning. We're going to, you're going to stay in Daniel chapter five and then I'm going to read you a, a verse out of Matthew, but Daniel chapter five and verse number 11 The Bible says, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit of the holy, um, in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, appointed him chief of the soothsayer priests, sorcerers, Chaldeans, and diviners. I'm also going to read to you Matthew 5, 16. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. The title of the message this morning is Daniel's Christmas Gift. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us today. I pray that you'd be with us as we look in the Word of God, as we study the Word of God. May the Word of God speak to us like it hasn't before, and may we just feel the power of God on this service today. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for what it means. Thank you for our church and our church family. Be with us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, when you think of Christmas... You might not think too often of Daniel, but I do want to look at Daniel's life a little bit this morning. If you would, please turn to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, and we might you know, skip around here and there in the book of Daniel, but I want you to see some verses this morning about Daniel's life. And uh, I really want you to see some things that this young man went through and some things that this young man did. Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to him, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. In 605 B.C., 
King Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem. He came in, he besieged Jerusalem, and he took the children of Israel captive. He took them captive into Babylon, into, into Babylon and this was a 70-year captivity. Part of the reason why God allowed this to happen to Israel is because Israel had rejected God and rejected God and rejected God and God got excuse me and God got tired of it and finally judged them. Another main reason why Israel was taken off into captivity for 70 years is because God had commanded Israel with something called the sabbatical year. Every 7th year they, the land was to rest. They weren't supposed to harvest the land. And there was a rest for the land. And we've actually scientifically found out today that that was actually a good thing. You can't just keep planting the same thing over and over and over and over in a field. That field's going to run out of nutrients. And that's why we rotate crops today. And that's all the principle found in the Word of God. And so, but so they were supposed to have a sabbatical year every seventh year to let the land rest. Another thing that they were supposed to do is they're supposed to have a year of jubilee. So every, what's seven times seven? 49. So after seven sevens, the next year, the 50th year, is the year of jubilee. A lot of things are supposed to happen on the year of jubilee. Uh, land was supposed to go back to the original owner. Slaves were supposed to be freed. Debt was supposed to be given. However, when, when Israel said, we reject God as our leader, we want a king. When King Saul took reign, when King Saul uh, became king, since that time, Israel dropped the Sabbaths, they dropped the Jubilees, and they stopped doing them. And you add it all up in that time frame, and it comes out to 70 they missed 70 Sabbaths. They missed, they, uh, oh, Sabbaths and Jubilees added together, they missed 70 of them. And so now it was time to pay the piper. God is going to get his rest one way or the other. So God took Israel out of the land of Israel, brought them into captivity into Babylon to make sure that the land got its rest. Now, not only did, did, did Israel take so many slaves captives of Israel, not only did they take the vessels of gold out of the tabernacle and all the treasures and all the fine jewelry and everything of any value, another thing they took was the best of the best of the children. Look at verse 3 and 4 in chapter 1. Then the king told Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, uh, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom there is no impairment, who were good-looking, suitable for instruction, and in every kind of expertise. And now with an understanding and discerning and knowledge, who had the ability to serve the, in the king's court, and he ordered Ashpenaz to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Now, the children here, the children were the cream of the crop. They were the best of the best. They understood science. They were smart. They were sharp. They understood mathematics. They understood these kind of things. So these children would end up serving the kingdom of Babylon very, very well. But there's another reason why they took the children. They took the children to remind the Israelites not to rebel. 
They said, you know, you better not rebel and have a revolution and an uprising against our rule because we've got your kids. And, and so that was another reason why they had the children. The Bible says that these children would be trained for three years. For three years, these children would be trained. What is the purpose of training this, these children? I'll tell you, here was the purpose, to indoctrinate them. They wanted to indoctrinate these kids. They wanted to teach these kids the languages, teach these kids the cultures, teach these kids the customs, teach these kids the religion. And the point was they wanted to brainwash out of them, brainwash in, out anything Hebrew, uh, brainwash out their Hebrew culture, brainwash out and make them forget about their Hebrew God. And that was the main purpose of this indoctrination that they're trying to push on these Hebrew children. Now you see, Satan wants the same thing for me and you today. Satan wants the same thing for me and you today. Satan wants to educate us in the ways of the world. Your schools and your colleges and your universities all across our country are, are educating and indoctrinating our youth in the ways of the world. Television shows constantly indoctrinate us. And not only your kids, we know that the television shows are trying to indoctrinate your children, but your ch the television shows are trying to, to indoctrinate you as well. They're trying to, to pull the wool over the adult size. And you know, it's almost like they're trying a different tactic now than they have in years past because, you know, every new show pushes a worldly agenda. That's something I've said several times behind this pulpit. It's something we all know. But here's the thing. It's almost like they're getting wise to the fact that they can't control what shows you watch. So what do they do? They find a way to inject their beliefs into shows that you do watch in the form of commercials. And now you can't even watch commercials anymore. Commercials are filthy. I hate watching live TV. I want to record it so I can skip those commercials. And when you fast forward to the end of a channel and it stops and you can't fast, more, fast forward anymore, you go, no, it's live TV. I hate it. And you just hate watching live TV. You want to skip those commercials. I can't stand the commercials. A couple of, uh, maybe a year or so, uh, maybe a couple years ago, we found an app, and we thought it was the best thing since, since sliced bread. It was an app called Pluto TV, and there are hundreds and hundreds of, of stations on this, on this app. It's almost like having a dish in direct. There are so many stations that you go through that you could pick from. And it's anything you could think of, any good show, these great shows, these, I mean, and we got it for the kids. I mean, there, I mean, there would be a whole channel dedicated to this one cartoon, and then there'd be 30 channels of that. And man, we thought we had just found the babysitter. And we you know we thought that's what that's what we had found. And so uh, we'd put it on our phone and put and give it to the kids but the key is it's free but you have to watch the commercials it didn't take us very long to see that the cartoons that they were watching every single cartoon was promoting lesbianism every single one 
So, of course, I couldn't get that app off my phone fast enough. But they're trying to indoctrinate us and, and push this in us and brainwash, brainwash us. And, 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 and then they want to force us to learn these new terms. You may say, Brother Brett, what does this got to do with Christmas? I'll, I'll get there. Uh, but, you know, they, they want to force us. They want to force us to learn these new terms like social justice and microaggression. And listen to this term, uh, non-binary, gender-neutral, two-spirit. That's one of the new genders. That's, that's, that's one gender. Uh, 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 non-binary, gender-neutral, two-spirit. How ridiculous does that sound? Sounds absolutely ridiculous. They, they force us to get these, learn these new terms like woke. Are you woke? Are your eyes open? Do you really see what's going on? And colleges and universities are teaching, uh, are, are teaching this, uh, the, the people are going to, this, to, this, to, these, uh, to, to study culture and to study humanism and to, for gender studies. And these lost and ungenerated people want to learn this stuff. And those same people, they look down on us. They look down on us because because uh, they say we're ignorant because we believe in creation. And they say we're weak because we pray and have faith to a God. But you see, Paul had a message for people like that. In 1 Corinthians 3.18, he says, Take care that no one deceives himself. If any among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. And Paul is saying there, be careful of worldly wisdom. He says in a sarcastic way to these people that, that just love learning about the world. He says in a sarcastic way, until you become a fool like us, you'll never truly be wise. And that's what he says. He says to them, you have to unlearn all your learning. OK, you got to unlearn all your learning and, 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 and you have to do that. God looks at the wisdom of this world and he calls it foolishness. He looks at the wisdom of this world and he calls it craftiness. He calls it futile. And do we agree with him? Absolutely, we do. I try to indoctrinate us, teach us the ways of the world. But you know, not only that, we also see these four Hebrew names, these four Hebrew boys were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These four Hebrew boys were given new names. Daniel was given the name Belshazzar, which means the son of the Babylonian god Bel. Hananiah was given the name Shadrach, it means illuminated by the sun god. Mishael was called Meshach, which means who is like Venus. Azariah was given the name Abednego, which means servant of Nego. And the Babylonians were like, we have got to do something about these names. These Hebrews, especially these four Hebrew boys, we have got to do something about. Why, why was it so important to change the name of these four Hebrew boys? Because all four of these Hebrew boys had God in their name. All four of these boys, their names reference a God that they didn't believe in, reference a God that didn't fit their value system, and reference a God that they didn't agree with, so we got to get rid of it. We've got to change your identity. We've got to change your name. All four of these boys had God in their name. 
Daniel, anytime you see E-L at the end of even our names, Daniel, Michael, if there's an E-L at the end of the name, that E-L is God, okay? All of these names had God in it. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means beloved by the Lord. Uh, Mishael is, is uh, who is as God. Azariah, the Lord is my help. All of their names were testimonies to a God that just would not do anymore. We have grown beyond. We are too civilized for your backwater, old-fashioned God. We don't want him anymore. We hate your God. We want you to forget your names. We want you to forget your heritage. We want you to forget the, your reverence to this God of yours. And by taking God out of their names, they were saying to these boys, you cannot, you cannot reverence your God anymore. You can no longer identify yourself with your God. Man, how this resembles what we're going, to, what we're going on, what's going on in our world today. Our world hates it when people call themselves Christian. Christian is almost a cuss word today. And, and you, know, it, you know, even in the Bible, you know, we were first called Christians by our enemies. Our enemies are the, the people who didn't like us. They were the ones that started to call us Christians. You don't believe they hate us? You don't believe they hate us? Do, do me a favor. You go to the Internet, you go to Google, and you type in Christian identity. Type it in. Do, do, do a Google search on it. What you will find is the entire First page of, of Christian identity is about Christian identity is racist. Christian identity is white supremacy. It's anti-Semitism. Because apparently, back in the 1920s, there was a movement called Christian identity. And it was all about racism. And it was all about white supremacy. And it was all about uh, Semitism. And, 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 you know, if you're a lost person and you hear a preacher preach on having a Christian identity, which, which is a popular topic. It's a popular topic to preach on. And then somebody hears that and they Google the term Christian identity. It's going to tell them that Christian identity is waste, racist and white supremacist and anti-Semitic. Don't tell me the world doesn't hate us. Don't tell me that the world isn't trying to sabotage Christians. Because they are. The world does not want you to identify as a Christian. The world wants you to be identified by your job. The world wants you to be identified by the possessions that you have. The world wants you to identify by your lusts. The world wants you to identify by where you live. What neighborhood are you from? Where did you go to school? Who did you vote for? What's your appearance look like? But they don't want you to identify as Christian. They don't want you to identify as a child of God. And if they can't totally get rid of the Christian identity, then they attempt to redefine it. Oh, we're not like that anymore. Christians aren't the way they used to be. We're, we're not, we don't believe in creation anymore. We don't believe in hell anymore. Oh, we don't believe in, uh, uh, we, we, we believe in other acceptable, we're accepting of all lifestyles. And when you get right down to it, 
They can't get rid of Christianity. They're going to try and water down what Christianity is. But you know what the purpose of it is? The purpose of it is to take the focus off of the gospel. Take the focus off of the gospel of Christ. If we can distract people with these little things that their flesh doesn't like, then we'll take the focus off the gospel of Jesus. And all of these things point, everything in the Bible points to Christ. Creation points to the gospel. And hell points to the gospel. The marriage of a man and woman, which is how God intended it to be, it points to the gospel of Christ. Turn to Acts 19.9. Hold your places in Daniel. We're coming back to Daniel. But turn to Acts 19.9. I want to show you something. I really want you to see this verse. Acts 19.9. I'll give you just a second to get there. If we can't get rid of Christianity, then we'll redefine what Christianity is. Acts 19.9. I want to read this verse. And uh, I'm, the, the version I'm reading is New American Standard. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, before the people, he withdrew from them and took the disciples away with him and had discussions daily in the school of Tyrannius. Now, I want you to notice a phrase in that verse. It says, speaking evil of the way. Now, it's not like that in the King James, but in most other versions, that word way is capitalized. It's capitalized because it's a proper noun. OK, it's a special word. Um, uh, that see early Christians they consider themselves to be followers of the way. <laughs> Don't smile at me. <laughs> Don't smile at me. So I, I want you to notice that the word way. Sorry for the inside joke, y'all. Um, I want you to notice the word way in that verse. It's capitalized. It's capitalized because in Greek it's a primary word. Now, many people have speculated to what this is, and I'm not going to do any speculation here, but I will tell you what we know. This sect of Christianity in the book of Acts was called the way. People looked and said, oh, there's the way over there. There's people that follow the way. And it has to do a lot with the fact that uh, Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, Christians of the time were referenced more as the way than they were called Christians. And what would happen is, is they would see a group of people coming up, walking down the street, and, and they would say, oh, look at those people over there. They follow the way. It'd almost be like today, people look down the street and say, hey, you see that group of troublemakers over there? They're called LSU fans. And so, uh, and so uh, it's kind of the same thing. You just identify, they identified as the way. This is the way. And, and, but um, what, what I wanted to tell you about that today is, um, it's, oh, there we go. Um, these Christians, they chose a different path. They chose to walk a different path in life. They lived for the kingdom. Their identity would always and forever be tied to God. But just like they changed the name of the four Hebrew boys, today they're trying to change our identity. They try to mar Christianity. 
They can call us racist. They can call us homophobic. They can call us women-hating. They can call us uh, ignorant. They can call us science to matters. It does not matter what they call us. Daniel said, it doesn't matter what you call me. It's not going to change my identity. Doesn't matter what name you give me, what, what slur you hurl my way, it doesn't matter because it's not going to change who I am. And churches need to get a hold of that today. They, they, they won't hold to the scripture because they're afraid they'll be called these names. They don't want to be labeled homophobic and they don't want to be labeled, which we're not by the way, and, and we, they don't want to be uh, labeled with all these labels that the world gives us. Who cares what the world calls us? It's not the opinion of the world that matters. It's the opinion of Christ. It's the opinion of the Lord. It's the opinion of Almighty God. He is the only person I care about. I don't care what you call me. Daniel said, I don't care what my name is. Uh, you can call me Belshazzar. You can call me uh, uh, anything you want to call me. It's not going to change who I am. But churches and pastors today, they get called these names. And I'm like, ooh, that might hurt my attendance. I need to change that. And really what they're saying is that's going to hurt my offering plate. That's going to hurt my, my pocketbook. I have to preach with the crowd or else <laughs> uh, we can't, we're going to have to turn the fog off. Okay? Which if you bought me a fog machine, I'd use it. So. Um, but anyway, I want you to look in chapter 1 and verse 8. Chapter 1 and verse 8 in Daniel. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now, when it comes to this word defile here, this means that Dan the reason why Daniel didn't eat the king's meat, the reason why Daniel didn't eat the king's food is because he had a spiritual reason for it. He had a spiritual reason for denying the king's meat. And several, several, uh, several reasons come to mind. Uh, more than likely, it wasn't kosher. It was probably sacrificed to idols. Eating it might have meant that he agreed with their culture and lifestyle. So there's any number of reasons why the king's meat, why he didn't want to eat it. But I want you to notice some things about this story so far. I want you to notice that when they tried to, uh, uh, when they tried to give him another name, he didn't object. He said, you can call me whatever you want to call me. It's not going to change my identity. When they tried to indoctrinate him with the Babylonian education, he, he said, go ahead, because I know what I believe. And your indoctrination is not going to change what I believe. Go ahead. It doesn't matter. But when it came to objecting the food, the only thing he objected to was the food. Why? Because eating the food was direct disobedience to the word of God. I can't control what you do, but I can control what I do. Okay. The world wants us to feed on what the world has to offer. Man, if you had a choice, would you eat T-bone steaks every day for three years or spring green salad every day for three years? 
Let me tell you something. The world, I mean, the sin of this world looks really good. The sin of this world looks very appetizing. My buddy just gave me a smoker for Christmas, and I can't wait to try it. Am I going to do brisket? Am I going to do ribs? I'm going to cook something on it. I'll let y'all know when I do. I'll, I'll show you a picture of it because I'm going to eat it all. But, um, but you know, the world... Uh, sin looks so good. In fact, the first sin of man was over a delicious piece of fruit. And while the world follows the path of sin, me and you know where the path of sin leads. For the wages of sin is death. Daniel knew what would happen if he refused to eat the food. He knew he might be punished. He knew he might be tortured. He knew he might be killed. Nebuchadnezzar was the one who gave that command. Nebuchadnezzar was crazy. Nebuchadnezzar was a sadistic person. Nebuchadnezzar came to the one of the kings of Judah, made him watch as he killed all of his sons in front of him, and then gouged the king's eyes out where the last thing the king would ever see was his sons being killed. This is what Daniel was up against. He was going against a, com a command from this king. He knew he could be punished. He knew he could be tortured. He knew he could be executed. What did he do? I love the way the King James puts it. But Daniel purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart. What does that mean? That means that he made the decision before he was ever offered the king's meat. He had the answer before they ever asked him the question. That's what that means. Don't wait until sin knocks on your door before you decide if you will or you won't. We face questions every single day. Will I flirt with my coworker? No. I've already made a commitment to my spouse. I've already got an answer to that question. Am I going to pray today? No, you know, I don't have to ask myself that question. Any, any, I have to ask myself that question either. I already know the answer to that question. Am I going to go to church? Hey, I don't have to ask myself that question. I already know the answer. And I think in our lives, we can learn a lot by following Daniel's example. This was a boy who was, this was a young man who was far away from home, far away from his family. And every, he was in a, a strange land. People that hated him. People that wanted to change him. But he had some inner convictions that outer pressure couldn't change. And don't let outer pressure change your inner convictions. Because that's the Holy Spirit inside of you. Daniel stood strong. Something happened because Daniel stood strong. You see, because Daniel... Daniel... Because of Daniel's convictions and his beliefs, he became associated with a certain group of people. Look at verse number 19. And the king talked with them, and out of all of them was none found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of expertise and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the soothsayer priests and conjurers who were in this realm. Through the rest of the book of Daniel, you're going to hear made mention of a certain group of people. These people are sometimes called soothsayer priests, conjurers, sorcerers, Chaldeans, magicians, astrologers. 
most of these terms reference the same group of people. This group of people, this was a tribe of people. This was a tribe of pagan priests. You've heard of the law of the Medes and Persians. The law of the Medes and Persians was law that not even the king could change. And the law of the Medes and Persians were taught by this tribe of pagan priests. In fact, in most Middle Eastern cultures, in most of those countries in the day, you, you, you could not become king unless you joined this order and mastered their ways. Then and only then could you become a king after that. In fact, that's where this tribe got their nickname. They were called the Kingmakers. We first see this tribe of Gentile pagan priests in Daniel chapter 1. And, and what it would seem is that Daniel has, through his faithfulness to God, is outperforming this tribe. He's outperforming these magicians, and he's outperforming these astrologers, and he's outperforming all of these conjurers and these soothsayers. And while they were looking up at the stars to get the answer, Daniel was down on his knees in front of a holy God. No wonder Daniel's advice was ten times better than these guys who were looking up in the stars. So you can imagine this order of soothsayers, this tribe, they didn't care too much for Daniel. Now this is that young guy from Israel. He's trying to come in on our turf. He's trying to, he's trying to change. Uh, he's trying to take our jobs away from us. So they didn't like him too much more than likely. That was about to change. Because in Daniel chapter 2 and verse number 1, and in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled, and sleep break from him. The king commanded to call the magicians, and the astrologers, and the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And so he called all these pagan priests and said, if Nebuchadnezzar had just said alone, I want you to come, and I want you to interpret this dream for me, well, man, that, that, they could have done that man oh uh, uh this means that they could have come they could have come up with anything uh they could have come up with any false interpretation but you see then uh, it wasn't just interpretation the king was looking for the king had forgot what he dreamed that's happened to me i have a really wild crazy dream that i remember when i first wake up but then by the time i get to tell somebody i done forgot about it OK, and so that's really that's really uh, that's happened to me a couple of times. But the king said, look, uh, not only do you have to interpret the dream for me, but I forgot what the dream was. You got to tell me what the dream was and then interpret it for me. And if you don't, I'm going to cut all of you into pieces. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. If you don't tell me what the dream was and I'll know if it was the right dream or not and give me the interpretation, I'm going to go to your tribe and I'm going to cut all of you into pieces. Man, this was, this was an impossible task. Impossible for man, maybe. But you know, the king said that all this tribe, they would be cut into pieces and they were panicked and they were scared and they thought they were about to die. And as the soldiers went to slay them, Daniel stood up and Daniel said, I'll, I'll do it. Daniel stepped up and this kid who is outperforming them and this kid, this young man that they thought was going to take their job away had just stepped up to interpret this dream and indirectly saved their lives. This whole tribe of people, their lives were saved that day by Daniel.
And Daniel did what he did. He told Nebuchadnezzar the dream. He told him the interpretation. Now because of this, let's see what the king did for Daniel. Uh, chapter 2, verse 48, Daniel. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon of the chief governors of all the wise men of Babylon. So, so two things happen in this verse. Number one, Daniel was made prime minister over all of Babylon. Daniel held that position for 64 years. For 64 years, through several kings, through several kingdoms, Daniel was the prime minister of Babylon. But that wasn't the only position he got. The other position that he got was he became head of this tribe. He became head of this tribe of soothsayers and conjurers and diviners and magicians and astrologers. He became head of this tribe. We see that in our text verse of Daniel 5.11. Let me read it again. There is a man in your kingdom in, who, in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the soothsayer priests, sorcerers, Chaldeans, and, and diviners. So now Daniel is the head of this pagan priestly order. And even... As Daniel spent 64 years as head of this order, they listened to Daniel teach. They listened to the prophecies that, that he made. Man, these, this order of pagan priests, they heard Daniel. They heard Daniel speak of the God of Israel. Daniel told them about Moses and the law. And, and Daniel taught them the Word of God. And even after Daniel passed off the scene... These priests, they still wanted to follow after the one true God. They wanted to know Him. They studied Scripture. You see, even after the captivity, see, after the captivity, not every Jew went back to Israel. Many, 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 very, in fact, not, not, most Jews stayed in Babylon. Only a few went back to Israel. Most of the Jews, they stayed in Babylon. And these, these pagan priests, they still began to hear all these Jews through the rest of the years speak of this, 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 this God they called Yahweh. If you haven't figured out the name of the tribe yet, I'll tell you what the name of the tribe is. You can look it up in the history books and see it to be true. The name of the tribe that, that it was these soothsayers and these magicians and these astrologers and, the, and, and this tribe that has come out of Babylon who, who holds the law of the Medes and Persians. The name of this tribe is called the Magi. Now that might sound familiar to you. Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea and the days of Herod the king, behold, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. You see, if there was no Daniel, there would be no magi at the birth of Christ. After the birth of Christ. If there is no Daniel, there is no Magi. He saved their lives. He taught them about the Messiah. Now listen, 
I love the song, We Three Kings. It's a good song. It's a good hymn. And it's okay because we can't know for sure. But I can tell you almost for sure that they weren't kings. There wasn't three of them. They weren't from the Orient. And they probably didn't ride on camels either. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. More than likely, that's, that's what's going on. You see, we have this picture, and, and, this, this, and, and this is what happened. There was a star that shone on Jesus. But we have this picture that they just followed the star the entire time. But that's, that, that's, really, not hap- that's really not how it happened. You see, they knew from the book of Numbers that a star would be a sign of the Messiah. They knew from Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks, they knew when the Messiah would come on the scene. They knew that he was going to be born. So they knew about the time when he was going to be born. And that's the time that they started to look for the sign. And when they saw the sign, because of Daniel, they knew which direction to walk. And, and, and look, there was more than three. There were probably hundreds of magi. In fact, some people have said there could have been thousands of magi, but they were at least hundreds. And they were all coming in, 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 in garb, in priestly garb, and, and they were all coming on Arabian horses because that, that's how they traveled. They missed the manger, but they got there when Jesus was at least two years old. And what happened was the kingmakers had found the king. You see, that's what's going on here. That's what the whole purpose of the Magi was. It was Jesus' coronation as king. That was the, the purpose. Then when the Magi came to Christ, that was his coronation ceremony as king. Now, most people think that there's only three, uh, there was only three, wise men because there were only three gifts. And if you're, in my, if you're in my Revelation study, you already know this, but there's a special reason for three gifts. You see, they gave him gold because he was to be king. And that's what a crown is made out of, gold. They gave him frankincense because he was to be a priest. Because that's what a priest does. A priest offers incense and prayers. And they gave him myrrh an embalming spice because they knew that he had to die. And their journey started the night of Jesus' birth and ended with a new coronated king. The new king of the Jews. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. Why? Because 600 years prior, a young man made some decisions before the questions were asked. He had already purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart that it it doesn't matter what lies you tell me, I already know the truth. He, he, He committed that it didn't matter what name you call me, I know what my identity is, and I know who I identify with, and you can't change that no matter how hard you try. And he stood up, And he told the king, I don't care how good your food looks. I won't go against the word of God. Man, the pressure was great. Like I said, if he didn't didn't cooperate, he couldn't get promoted in his position. 
He, would be tor- he might be tortured and killed and executed. The food looked very good. He was far away from his family. If he ate, his family wouldn't know. In fact, maybe he was tempted to think, man, I'm so far away from my family. God has abandoned me, but he didn't. And Daniel and his friends show us an example of how inner conviction can overcome outer pressure and that God-honoring convictions yield God-given rewards. This Christmas, as you give to others, don't forget about whose birthday we're actually celebrating. Don't forget about that. And if you're trying to give him a gift, this Christmas I want you to think about that scared young man so far away from home. He had so much pressure on him, but he didn't crack. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. After all, what did Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments. And you know, we can't know this for sure. We can't know this for sure, but maybe, just maybe, when they coronated Jesus, the words of their most famous, influential leader of their order named Daniel Maybe the words of Daniel were read at Jesus' coronation. And maybe this was quoted. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. I leave you with this today. This Christmas, do not forget Jesus is king. Jesus is king. 2020 has been an absolute roller coaster. We have done things that we have never, ever done before in our lives. Jesus is king. Our, 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 our government is turned up on in. Our society is turned up on in. And everybody's scared and nobody knows where to turn to. Do not forget that Jesus is king. Proclaim it. Live it. Believe it. Share it. Tell everybody. Jesus is King because the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us.